everybody, and welcome back to the Out to Be podcast. It's your host, Katie Zaccardi. Today's episode, we have a TikTok live that has been repurposed into a podcast episode that I did with Tara Bruski. So Tara is a friend of mine. She's another coach. She helps musicians book consistent gigs. She helps singers who are struggling with their voice, and she is an artist herself. So yes, you heard that right. She's a coach in two forms. She's a booking coach and a voice coach, and she is an artist herself. And uh, she had heard the episode that I did a while back that was about musician versus content creator, which should you be? So it was like a month ago-ish. And she reached out to me and she was like, we got to talk more about this. It's super interesting. Um, Being a member of Gen X, she obviously was an artist before social media was a thing. So we decided to hop on TikTok Live and talk about it in depth. So that's exactly what you're listening to on this week's episode. You're going to hear our conversation where we talk about what it used to be like to be an artist versus what it's like now. Is it harder to be an artist now or is that belief sort of a facade so we're gonna dive into that today we're gonna answer these questions we're gonna give tips um, from us as coaches as to how you can better balance the roles that you do have to play as an artist now I really loved our conversation and I know you are going to as well be sure to share your thoughts with us over on Instagram or on TikTok we can't wait to hear from you and let's go ahead and dive into the conversation with Tara welcome Tara so for anyone who doesn't know you please introduce yourself (laughs) sure (laughs) Um, I have been a part of the music business in a sense as an artist mostly but honestly um, my whole life since I was a wee little thing but I started booking at age 15 um, which is a long long time ago for me Um, I am in the generation X I think they call us (laughs) (laughs) not boomers right Right. Not boomers. Yeah. I've been called a boomer before. It's okay. I can handle it. um, (laughs) I've been literally doing music full time for uh, over 25 years. And so um, I've had a lot of history with the music industry way back and then now and through the years. And I think what was so cool is that I was actually listening, Katie and I know each other, but I I was listening to to your podcast, Katie, kind of recently talking about just kind of the new music industry. And that's what got me kind of all fired up. And, you know, it was just, I mean, it was cool. The things you were sharing and, and I just thought it would be fun to have that discussion to help people even see, you know, yes, some of the changes and yet some of the similarities too, because whether or not you're, you know, you're in the music industry like me years and years ago, or if that was before you were born, it's okay. I mean, there's some common themes that still are, are part of it, part of being a full-time musician. Totally. And just to give uh, everyone context too, Tara is a coach herself. You teach, yeah. you coach vocal coaching and you teach people, artists specifically, how to book their own gigs while yes. still being an artist. So like you right. kind of, you know both ends. Like you know what it was like to be an artist then and now, and you also mm-hmm. know what it's like to be a coach and to help other people grow their careers. So I'm super right. excited for this conversation. <laughs> and for those of you who follow me, Um, whether you just follow me here or you have listened to the podcast and the more recent episodes, you know that I've been talking a lot about this. Um, you know, a lot of musicians will sometimes complain and I'm not saying it's not justified, but like I see a lot of, of content on here and a lot of conversations with my clients about frustrations, having to play all of the parts. And, you know, I wish that it was still about the art. Like I, 
see, I'll make videos about this and then I'll still get comments from people being like, ugh, I just wish it wasn't like this. Ugh, I just wish that it, you know, it was basically like the old days. I just wish it was still about the art. Basically making this insinuation that artists used to not have to do all this work, right? And we know <laughs> that the music industry has changed and we know that there are a lot of new things, particularly social media, that for sure, we can we can say for sure, yeah, artists in the 80s and not 90s and even early 2000s did not have to do social media. So that is true. However, I feel that there's a really big misconception that musicians um, for decades really uh, like haven't had to do the work. Even now, major artists have to promote themselves. It just looks different. Like if you're signed to a label, let's say you're right. Taylor Swift, you're going on all the late night talk shows and the early morning talk shows and you're <laughs> doing radio interviews. So like you're doing all this stuff to promote yourself, even if you might not be um, on TikTok or whatever, right? So all this to say, that's what we want to start our conversation with is just kind of breaking this myth, like busting this myth that... It's only now that indie artists have to do all this work and have to play all of those roles because that has not really been the case. So Tara, I want to just kind of pass it over to you and have you share yeah. some of your experience with this too because I know that that was something that you reached out to me about of being like, this is so true. Like, <laughs> I, we need to talk about this. <laughs> well, yeah, thanks, Katie. And so if I go back, you know, just honestly, and I kind of wrote down a list of things. I Most of these things that you guys have actually forgotten because... I, it's been so long since I had to do these specific things, but like, let me just give you a, a little list of things for look, like if I was going to look to find gigs, let's just say that, or events or, you know, a festival, because we had festivals back in the eighties and nineties, but I would have to go um, through a phone book, <laughs> um, like the yellow pages, newspapers, newspapers were really big at finding things. Um, sometimes you'd see flyers up places, um, the library, there'd be different things. But my point is there was not the internet. The internet did not come in until the mid nineties and there was no email. Um, there weren't cell phones until the late nineties and they were huge. I think my first cell phone was like, you know, this big and this thick. <laughs> so, um, so what I'm saying is just the, the ways of even just trying to find things happening was it was a big, huge process, you know? And then even calling, you know, we take for, I take for granted, I can call any place, I can text any place. Well, um, phones, long distance was expensive, really expensive. Um, there was, if you needed to get anything printed up, people did not have in the 80s and 90s, especially the 80s, but we did not have printers and copiers. Businesses had them, they were huge. So you had to go to a print shop and get things uh, printed up, whether it was a flyer or a promo photo. And speaking of photos, there's no digital. So you had to actually, you know, take pictures and film you had to get developed and then hope you find, you know, maybe two or three pictures. So the process of having to do things, though it might seem sort of more complicated now, it was just a lot longer. It's like everything just took kind of longer. Yeah. And it seems like time. more expensive too, because it wasn't yeah. as easily accessible. Like you said, like phones and printers and these technologies that most people have easily accessible to them was so much yeah. less accessible and more expensive. Well, yeah. And I even think of like having to, like if somebody wanted to find my music or if I wanted to share it. Okay. So again, no internet. I had to send cassette tapes in the mail. So I had to pay for the postage. You had to pay to make the little cassette tapes. 
And of course, the quality wasn't that great either. But the point is just that, yeah, there was a lot of expense and very little like for sending if I had to send off to 20 places, I can nowadays, of course, you know, click on a link and say, send 20 emails. And it cost me basically nothing, you know, except wow. to have my website. So yeah, um, so those kinds of things, they did cost more they, there were more barriers that way. I mean, I'm going to say there was also some simplicity in the fact that social media wasn't this ever presence before us, which mm. we all, you all face now, you know. I want to talk a little bit about that too, because I feel like musicians, this is what I hear at least. The first priority is like art, make music, write songs. Like that's like the first focus. Of course, that's the passion. That's the first love mm -hmm. that people have and what they want to spend most of their time on. Then the second right. thing that they kind of come to terms with having to do is booking gigs and playing live shows. Because of course, playing live shows is also really rewarding. And so the, the act of booking gigs, it's like, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll do that because live music is like my, what I'm also passionate about, like writing these songs and performing them live. But then you add marketing into it and I feel like that's when brains start to explode and people start to be like, fuck this shit, I don't wanna do it anymore. Like, what, what, I, why do I have to play all these roles? Like, what's going on? Or the self-doubt really comes in or, I mean, there's just so much conversation around it. So I'm curious for you, what was it like having to market yourself back then like you would book shows and you'd have to promote those shows or you just want to get new fans for your music what was it like before the age of social media really hard because you we would grow so slowly you would have to um you have to tour if you want anybody outside of your hometown or city i lived in a town at the time of twenty thousand people so we're not talking very big exposure and so yeah i did travel to some smaller towns and i live in minnesota and um so we did that but like flyers you had to literally physically go put up flyers or send them to the places you were going to play and have them put up the flyers um you'd have to like call a radio station or if there was a television station to see about the possibility of maybe getting on some show where they would advertise which i know happens nowadays too yeah but um as far as like ads if you had ads you had to pay big money for radio ads, newspaper ads, magazine ads, you know, TV ads. And most of the time we didn't because most of us didn't have budgets. Yeah. Again, that you could do that. So you're the, well, I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, the numbers of people even knowing about you was so, it was so small and it grew so slowly, you know, even, even if you were touring around. Do you feel like most people goal at that point was to like get signed like was your goal yes. to get signed or was it just to stay an indie artist <laughs> no in fact the term even indie artist wasn't really, really around thing. until the 90s yeah um it kind of started becoming that but yeah i and i thought stupidly i thought i would get discovered um i was with a band in my in my college years and we thought we would be discovered and yeah record deals that was that was the big thing um i have two different friends I knew, not close friends, but that did get signed to record deals um, in the 90s. And they both had, you know, a time of some, I guess I'd call it great success and nationally known, but those didn't last long either. <laughs> because mm. as, as you know, even nowadays, if you get signed, 
you, there's still, like you said, people going to, you know, an artist has to be on all these shows yeah. to keep up their name. You still have to keep it up. And yeah. If you don't perform well, you might get dropped from the label anyway. <laughs> like, it's true, if you're not yeah. pulling your weight, they might freaking drop you. Like, there's no right. guarantee that that'll even work. No. So it sounds yeah. like you still had this hustle. I don't love the word hustle, but really, like, for lack of a better word, where you're working towards getting signed. And in order to do that, you still had to put yourself out there, make sure you were playing constantly and getting yourself in front of the right people. So in, in the right places so that someone mm -hmm. may or may not discover you. And then, right. and then you didn't even like, you're kind of, um, leaving it all up to them because if you didn't get discovered, you could keep doing all this, but you can't really have the reach that an indie artist now could have without that discovery just because again there's no social media you've if you want to be well known all over the place you'd have to put a ton of money into ads and things like that or going right. on a national tour which of course requires a lot of time money etc so you could work your way up to that but there's mm -hmm. still this like two-part phase where it's like you're doing the hustle to hope to get signed and then they can take you further but if you don't do that you're stuck in that like <laughs> that rigmarole if you will yeah and I and I think that's true nowadays too in a sense where you know it we I I didn't really understand I always felt like too I needed a manager that was always what mm. I was thinking like I gotta find a manager because if I yeah. get a manager they'll do everything for me and and I I don't know I mean Katie do you think that people still nowadays that can be some people's mindset of that if they found just the right manager or not you know, it's really interesting because I don't know that it's as prevalent, but I do still think it is more prevalent than it should be. <laughs> like I am, <laughs> I am anti-manager. <laughs> like I don't really talk mm -hmm. about this a lot, but, um, and I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are. I'll, I'll pass it to you. But, th and this is also why, because in the indie landscape, most mm -hmm. managers don't know what they're doing. They're learning with you. And if mm -hmm. you're going to have someone who's learning with you, and then also taking a cut of your money. Mm, no, just learn it yourself and keep all the money. Like, <laughs> please. Like, I, and I do get the whole premise of, but they're helping me and they're doing the work for me. But if they're still learning and they don't really know what they're doing, you could end up getting yourself into some bad situations or just like, I, I feel like I've heard of a lot of people who, who work with managers and then they try to tell them you have to do it this way or they're like booking stuff that they don't really want to do and it's just like ends up being a more hurtful situation than helpful situation. Um, so personally, I'm not, obviously there's, there's exceptions to the rule, but like generally speaking, I don't think managers are really necessary. Um, I'd rather hire an assistant than a manager, to be honest with you. And... Uh, the other part of this too, is that I feel like I forgot what I was going to say. I'll think of it. Uh, so I'm just going to send it to you. <laughs> no, I agree with you. And about managers, I'm actually the same way. And in fact, uh, when I was with my band in the early 1990s, um, it was with my brother and a couple other guys, uh, we had, we found someone who was going to be, we thought our manager, we hired her for a while. We didn't pay her hardly anything to be honest, but she basically, I don't think she even knew us well enough to kind of be in our court. Yeah. And she really didn't do anything for us. And, and I kind of tell the same people the same thing with booking. I know a lot of people think, well, I'm going to hire a booking agent and, and I'm all about, 
you know what, if you find it yourself, you're developing relationships with people along the way, yeah. which can be a much longer lasting thing. So um, I'm kind of with you on the manager thing. I don't, I don't encourage it with people. Yeah, me either. <laughs> oh, this is what I was going to say, which is more of, this is more of a note to the manager or to an artist who is looking for a manager. If you yeah. are someone who wants to be a manager, I don't think it hurts to work with small bands and learn as you go. But what I'd rather see you do is like get an internship or be an assistant to someone who already is a successful manager so you can get the experience without like having to like experiment with an indie artist. Cause again, I see the pros and cons of like learning together, but I do feel like it can often do more harm than good when two new people are learning together. Like if neither of you know what you're doing, it usually ends up being like a moneyless pit of craziness. So, um, <laughs> that would be my advice. If you're a manager that I feel like that's the best way to get into managing. And if you're a, an artist hiring a manager, try to get someone who actually has experience and make sure that they really, really jive with you before hiring someone. Um, yeah. so yeah, so there's a lot, there's a lot here, like we've established and I'm curious your thoughts in terms of the whole like barrier to entry thing, because as we've kind of established, it was a lot harder to really break in, um, not necessarily break into the music scene because you could book gigs and you could even mm -hmm. potentially tour around and you could build up a fan base before social media. But now it's a lot easier to really break through and have a much wider reach, a national reach, an international reach, and to be able to do that and make a good amount of money um, without having to be signed by a label or a publisher or a manager or anything like that. So what are your thoughts on that? Having experienced like both, both <laughs> versions of the music yeah. industry. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was thinking when you said the, the barrier entry or whatever it, and we kind of established it, but it was more expensive, um, than to, you know, to even record. <laughs> Let's just take mm. that as something that's a key. You had to go into a studio usually, um, uh, you know, paying someone to obviously do it for you. Cause I mean, if you wanted the quality of recording, you, you needed to go into a studio. People started having home studios then, but it was again, very expensive equipment, just super expensive. Um, I do think nowadays the barrier that stops a lot of people, at least like my age is the tech barrier. And yet I'm all for I'm a willing learner. And, and the thing that I do get tired of hearing with my generation is just that, oh, it's the tech, it's the tech, it's the tech, you know, yeah. or I'm not tech savvy. I'm not tech savvy. And it's, and all I think of is, well, then let's learn. Let's learn yeah. how to do it. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel when artists today say, I'm not business savvy. Well, then mm. learn it. Like, cause it's literally just flexing a muscle. Like mm -hmm. you grew up as <laughs> the people like Gen Z were like yes. birthed with phones in their hands. So right. they didn't have the, the hump to go over of learning how to operate technology uh, mm -hmm. like your generation did because you didn't, you had to, hey, this is a new thing. How does it work? It's, right. it's like learning a new language basically. And I feel like that the, the new, I'm hesitant to say excuse, but I'm going to just say excuse because it kind of is. Um, <laughs> the new excuse is not, oh, technology's hard. It's, oh, I'm just not business savvy. Like, I'm just a musician. I just write the songs. I do the art. That's it. I'm a creative point blank period. And then they like refuse to um, ad even admit that they have potential to be business savvy. And I think that that is something that really, really holds musicians back. 
And I would, first of all, everyone who's here, please like comment your thoughts. We want to hear from you. Ask questions. What I was going to say was, I think that this can be something that really holds artists back. And I, I am interested to hear what you think, but I feel like some of it is almost like a defense mechanism of like, well, if I just say I'm bad at business, then I don't have to try and fail. Or if I say (laughs) I'm bad at business, then I can, this is kind of like limiting belief stuff, (laughs) which you know, I'm a big fan of, but it's like, if I, it's protection, like it's like a fear bit, like protecting yourself so that you don't get hurt. If I say I'm bad at business, then I can basically explain away why my music career is not where I want it to be. And I can blame it on social media and I can say that I'm just an artist. And I know I'm like firing away at you guys right now. I'm like coming, maybe calling some of you out, but this (laughs) is, it's interesting to me because first of all, it's interesting that with every generation, like there's always something that people will cling to as the thing that is like, this is why I can't do it. Yes. But you can always succeed if you choose it's possible for you. So like pick your poison. Like for you guys, it was, oh, now there's there's technology. It's just too hard. I can't learn it. You know, mm-hmm. now it's, oh, social media algorithms are too hard or I'm just not business savvy enough. So for me, the big thing is like, are you going to keep making excuses or are you going <laughs> to figure out how, like how you can do this? So I'm getting a little fired up right now. <laughs> I'm going to back <laughs> off before I'm, everyone unfollows me. And <laughs> Yeah, I I love it. And um, yeah, I, you guys don't keep following Katie um, because she, she's got a lot of wisdom. And, you know, that it actually reminds me, Katie, of I know what you're saying. Yeah, every every generation can have its own excuse and we all can be guilty of that in some way and trying to because like it is it is a protection, I think, sometimes um, because of maybe something that we're just afraid of. You know, we're scared of it, something new, something we haven't done. But I was just thinking back to something. Um, It was actually a record producer. This was in the 90s. I couldn't actually tell you who it was because it's too long ago. But the thing that stuck in my mind that he said was when they were looking for bands or groups or solo artists, um, the record labels, he basically was saying, and I think this is just as true now, he said, we're looking for people that are already successful. Mm-hmm. We're looking for bands and people that already have a following or that they're building that. He said, yeah. you know, there's plenty of talent out there, but he said, we want to know, like as a record company, that we're going to be able to partner with these people who already are having that. And I don't think that's changed. I think even nowadays, you know, the the more that you as an indie artist can continue to grow your fan base, uh, what you do, where you're performing, how you get your music out. Really, yeah. I mean, it's people want to be with six people who are successful, want to be with successful people. And 100%. and success doesn't I mean, it can mean different ways for you. I certainly don't mean you don't have to have a record label to be successful one iota. Yeah, um, you can have a very happy, musical filled life with being an indie artist, <laughs> Totally, you know, without a record label. So, yeah. Yeah. And and I think it's important to to be honest about what record labels are, which is like a bank like they're gonna give you money they're gonna give you a loan that you then have to make back so you still have to make sure you're busting your butt to like sell the records and be out there and be willing to make the money back and yes they'll put their team behind you to get you out there but it's not just like this like magic potion okay you got signed now you're automatically a success right Mm -hmm. and i completely agree with you i've heard that as well from 
friends who work in the industry. And even back in college, I remember I met with a publisher and we were, I was like talking with this A&R and she was listening to my music and, um, I wasn't really ready or necessarily looking to be signed, but I was just kind of having a meeting with her. Ironically, I ended up working at that exact same publishing company <laughs> years <laughs> later after I graduated. Fine. <laughs> um, but she didn't work there anymore. But point being, she told me the same thing. This, she was saying that from a publishing perspective, even, and they're looking at songwriters too. Like, yeah, a right. lot of the songwriters are artists, but some of them are like, just focused on songwriting, writing for other people. They don't necessarily have their own artist career. They were still looking for people. Like there's no development. I feel like it used to be, or people had the conception that it used to be artist development. Oh, we'll take on the little baby bird and we'll raise it to be a really good artist. That's really not the case, particularly now. It sounds like it still wasn't even back then like labels if they're going to give you a loan they want to make sure that you're a good investment same with publishers it works the same way so they're looking for people who already have traction who've already developed themselves at least to a point and they've already proven that they've built something that the label or publisher can then capitalize on and take further and grow but they're not looking for someone who's just twiddling around on the guitar and has a lot of talent and they're like, oh great, we'll pump a lot of money into you. No, you've got to have proven that you have some business foundation set up, some traction set up, a fan base there that they can work with because otherwise they're not going to want to invest in you, which is exactly what they're doing. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. And it also is making me think of, when I mean, we talk about artists and development, <laughs> that as the one thing that I do see uh, for any artist, and honestly, this is any age, so this is not, you know, towards if you're um, Gen Y or millennial or, or it's anybody. Um, I think that as artists in general, if we also want people to pay attention to what we're doing, and we know this, it's not just about talent, but of really trying to continue to improve in all the areas of our, our, our bit. Yeah. You know, whether it's um, songwriting that we continue to get even training or help or do it with other people, you know, anything. If you play instruments, saying just to get some actual training and to continue to improve. Tony Bennett sang into his 90s. Yeah. And um, the only reason, honestly, he stopped singing, I believe, is because he actually has Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's. now, which is sad. Yeah. But, you know, it's because he just kept raising the bar just raising the bar and in every way. And it's not, again, it's not just about your talent. It's maybe about your business skills, your tech skills, your whatever that is, but of just getting help. I mean, even from any kind of coach, it's, yeah. it's important. I'm still getting coaching and I know you are too, Katie, right? Always. And so it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's that learning. And if we continue to learn as artists, what we present to people, they're, they're going to enjoy because we've actually taken the time. In fact, it's really respectful to our audiences to continue to raise the bar for ourselves. Yeah, yeah, so. absolutely. So I think uh, this has been really cool to kind of talk about the differences of what it took to get to the point of getting signed um, before social media and really before indie artists existed mm -hmm. and you kind of had to have a label versus right. now what it takes to get signed or to just simply take that and continue on by yourself and be independent. Um, I would love to shift a little bit into maybe some tips that we have for like 
succeeding <laughs> now and also answer any questions that are coming in. So just to address the comments a little bit, Clarissa said, we've got to roll with the punches. Technology evolves. Things change. Totally agree. Michael said, I think a lot of people just don't want to dedicate the time it takes to get good at those things. I agree. And maybe that's actually where we can start, which is like, how do we balance all of the different roles? Because I do feel like that is a genuine concern. A lot of musicians have full-time jobs or part-time jobs while they're trying to build up their music career. So what's your take, especially from you who is an artist and a coach <laughs> and like a voice <laughs> teacher, like what is your take on balancing being the artist, the songwriter, the maybe even the producer, the booking agent, the marketer, the social media manager, and having to do all of these things? What are What do you do to not get overwhelmed both in terms Crazy. of managing your time and also in <laughs> terms of being like oh my god this is so much my brain hurts yeah because it is a and lot there of are... different like buckets you know what I mean and I was gonna say there are days just to know friends that there's days that I do feel completely overwhelmed and have a good cry I mean honestly it's just it, it is a lot but I think for me that I do tend to um compartmentalize a little bit like even with certain days of the week I'm learning that you know, maybe like at, for me right now, particularly, I have two days that I'm just working on my teaching, like just the, whether it's private students or kind of some coaching. And then, you know, the days that I perform, I'm trying to put those into different days of the week. And I, and I kind of chunk in my days too. If I even in a day, I might say like, okay, there's three things I'm doing in this day and I'm going to do this for this amount of time and this amount of time, like booking. I don't do booking every day. I can't. And even social media, it's like I take chunks of when I'm doing it because we can't be doing stuff all the time. We still have lives to live. I mean, some of you, yeah, if you Sorry. have, um, it's all right. <laughs> if you have like full-time jobs besides your music or part-time, you know, like, yeah, you have to actually do that. So I think just finding these moments where you can, and, and actually though, schedule it in. I do yeah. think scheduling can be wise and not again to overwhelm you but just to to make sure that it's on the calendar like a doctor appointment would be or you know take your doggy or kitty to the vet <laughs> yeah yeah I think so. that's so key like batching things and kind of separating out like sometimes inspiration for songs hits yeah at random moments and for sure capitalize on that but I like to do the same or I have like admin days where I'm just like doing scheduling or planning or brainstorming and then I have, co I have coaching call days or interview like talking days that basically I call them so right. like Tuesday Wednesday Thursday I do coaching calls interviews like I'll also often record content on those days um because that's where my brain is like my brain is in the zone of talking right as opposed to admin as opposed to creative so like you want to, I think that kind of theming your days or theming chunks where it's like your morning is this and your afternoon is this and giving yourself time to switch in between those brains is helpful because, um, it is different. Like it creating, writing a song and like creating a spreadsheet to track your bookings is, <laughs> is like two different parts of totally your brain. Different. Right. And so we don't have to pretend that that's not the case, but no. we do have to honor ourselves and say it is possible to do both. And I'm going to give myself some time and separation in between both to like switch in and into one and out of the other. And something that I like to do as well, um, this is like a tip. Actually, <laughs> I'm going to do a couple of TikTok videos about this, but something that I like to do when I 
in order to like really capture creative ideas. Cause like I said, they can hit at any moment and I might be about mm-hmm. to hop on a coaching call or I might've just gotten off a coaching call and had a really good content idea. What I do is I literally open up my phone. If it's a song idea, I would open up voice memos. If it's a TikTok yep. idea or content idea, I open up, I either open up my notes and write it down or I just open up TikTok and literally just like hold my phone like this and record okay, this is the idea. And like, I'll just like say the idea. And then on the days I'm recording content, I open up the phone, look nice and actually say it to the <laughs> camera. But this way I can capture the song ideas, um, at, you know, as it's flowing, the content ideas and things like that, but not have to drop everything to like create immediately. Oh. So that's one of my favorite tips for kind of like, again, riding both things. So you're not ever feeling like you're missing out on creative hits, but you're also not derailing everything to do that. Oh, I love that. I, I do that too, Katie. It's, it's funny. Like I have the reminder tabs and then I have, yeah, my little vocal things for if I get a song inspiration or content. Yeah. Sometimes I'll even just text myself with a content idea, yeah. but I love that where you're, yeah, you're in the moment. So you're not losing it. You're still grabbing it. The other thing I was thinking is time of day. Cause I know that for some of you, you know, you might feel like you're being pushed into, well, I have to do this at all times of the day. And it's like, you know what, if booking for you or, you know, doing something like writing a song or creating invoices, maybe you get a second wind, maybe you're a night owl and you need to do it at 10 o'clock at night, then do it yeah. at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. Don't try to do it compared to what someone else does. You know, I've, I've got, uh, my mom is someone who's totally a morning person and which is great, but she's at, you know, she's up at six. She's just ready to go at like seven in the morning. For me, I'm easing out of my bed. I got to have my coffee. I might do a workout. I don't even touch like heady stuff until maybe, you know, nine or 10 in the morning or later. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I have a lull usually in my afternoons too. So I'm, I'm learning don't do like, if, if I have a lull, then either I better go sing or do something that's very not brain, you know, that I have to think hard. Yeah. So Michael asked, do you set aside time to practice your craft? Which is such a good question. Most of us, most of the time I just wait until the inspiration strikes, which isn't ideal. And I think this is good too, because when it comes to practicing your craft, there's also like two different things. There's literally writing the song, which Mm -hmm. is often very inspiration driven. And then there's also like, doing your voice, your vocal warmups and and practicing vocal technique or like practicing guitar or piano and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I personally am kind of out of habit with that right now. And I need to set aside time to do it because I don't, but I'm also not actively performing at the moment or writing. Tara, what's your take on this? Yeah, I I, I like that you broke it into two things because I think it is. um, I, I do set time aside for actual practice. Um, I don't do a a ton of it because I'm gigging often, but I'm still taking lessons (laughs) from a teacher, uh, vocally and, and then like songwriting, actually a couple of things, like what you said, Katie, about recording something. Um, sometimes maybe that's the thing that you pull out later on, or you just, or you maybe even set aside time to say, I'm going to play for 20 minutes. It doesn't matter what comes out. I'm not even going to really write a song, but I'm going to see if I can come up with a melody or just play around, or maybe some lyrics will come out. But yeah, I think being intentional is still good because, and I will say this, unfortunately, sometimes when I get so into the business of my music business, 
I forget that I'm still an artist. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> that, so, like, literally, I'm so mad you said that because I have to sometimes pull myself back. Even as a business owner, I get so into my business, I forget that I like have a life and I have to be like, girl, like stop, like go have fun or go write a song or go do this. And it always helps me to be better at business when I do those things. But it's yes. so true that like, Sometimes you do need a schedule in that balance just to stay accountable to yes. both things. Yeah. And I think, and all of us, I think are going to have a tendency to kind of go a little bit more one way or the other yeah. once we are a music entrepreneur, which is really what we all are if you're trying to make money as yep. a musician. But yeah, I mean, so you might end up going maybe a little bit more into the business and then you're like, whoops, I need to do some practice. Or you might be the one that's always like writing songs and doing that creative side. And then you think, whoops, I need to, you know, make sure I'm recording my thing. So I don't think you have to beat yourself up either if you have a tendency one way or the other. But yeah, to actually just put put aside time, you know, like Katie, like you even said, for life, you yeah. know? Yeah, it's for real. Like if I don't schedule, like if I don't text a friend, hey, let's meet up or hey, let's go do this. Like I could easily just work work, work, work my life away. Right. So, <laughs> and, and that's where I find that like I, when it comes to writing and even just like singing for fun, I mm -hmm. usually do gravitate more towards doing that at night or like in the evening. So I could honestly work a whole day and then still be hit with creativity or just want to sing. And so I usually do that towards the end of the day, but I will it because it's often the end of the day, it's also easy for me to get tired and just skip it and this, that, and the other thing. So that's where I think accountability of like hiring a coach. Like for me, mm. I like to hire, even if I'm not actively performing, mm -hmm. like I'm about to hire on an, another voice teacher just to help me like get my voice back in shape. Cause I haven't been singing in a while and I want it to be better. And even though I'm not performing, that's going to hold me accountable in a specific time frame to practice my singing. And mm -hmm. so I know it's happening and I'll know to show up and then I can be a little bit more flexible around that. But if you are wanting like an accountability partner or to improve your craft or anything like that, hiring a coach or having check-ins with a friend or like co-writing sessions with a friend that kind of like act as blocks within your week or your month are I think really helpful to stay accountable if you need that accountability. That reminds me too. And I know uh, you've had groups before and I have, and, and just in general, I do think it's important for us as musicians to be somewhere on social media or someplace part of a group of other musicians, mm. because I think it, it can be something, you know, the business is hard. Um, it's, it's not all hard. I mean, there's some amazing joys in it, but I think, t I think a lot of times we can feel very isolated and that we're the only ones going through it. And if now I happen to come from a musical family, so my family is very understanding, like we get each other, but I know plenty of musicians who come from families that they aren't as musical or in the creative arts and they struggle because they're the only one and they yeah. kind of almost get negative vibes from their family. And so it's really great to have that camaraderie of other musicians. Totally. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I, that's why I love doing like the group programs that I run and I'm sure you do too. Um, and yeah. I like Facebook groups for that too. I feel like that's a really good place mm -hmm. to do it. If anybody else has any questions, drop them below just to finish up my thought. If you are a musician, cause I, I have talked about this as well. And I've had some people say to me, 
well, you know, I post content because I'll say don't post content that's for other musicians because that's not going to attract your ideal fan. And then they'll say, but I want the community here on TikTok of other musicians. So I'm still trying to figure out the balance there because I completely get that. And I do think community is so important. But I do think that maybe trying to figure, trying to find like a Facebook group or like if you like it and see another musician, like start your own Discord channel or join a coaching program or do some things that allow you to create, um, create community without having to sort of sabotage the, your potential for growing your fan base on the app. Because even if it means you have two separate accounts or something like that on TikTok, you want to make sure that you are being really specific that if you're trying to build a fan base of fans, that you're creating content for your fans and not for your other musician friends. And I know it kind of stinks, but especially the way TikTok works, like they're going to put you into a box like <laughs> they really are and they're gonna send you to a specific group of people so you need to be very clear about who you want to be sent to and if you're being sent just to musicians it could potentially hurt your success on the platform in terms of getting to your fans so mm -hmm. I, I'm glad that you brought that up and again it's still something I'm trying to figure out of like how can we make sure people feel supported with other musicians while also using the app to get with their fans but thought I would just use that opportunity to throw that nugget out there. Oh yeah. And just one other thing I was thinking too, is that if, if you are looking for camaraderie, I think it is wise to actually get into a group coaching where it is a paid thing because the investment itself, it's, I don't care whether it's private lessons or a private coach or, or yeah. a group, it, it not only keeps you accountable, it's going to keep you more motivated because when, for some odd reason, probably for all of us, but when we are paying something <laughs> and when we're, I mean, it Skin is an investment. Game. Yeah. It, it tends to make a show up. And yeah. so that's a, a good way also to keep going in this music industry. Yeah, I agree. All right. So let us know if you guys have any other questions about being successful and balancing all of the roles that you have to play in the music industry. Tara, is there anything else that's coming to mind for you right now as like a tip or just something that you want to add before we wrap up the conversation? <laughs> yeah, just in general, I, I want to say that I think because I've been in the industry so long, um, one of the biggest things that I've learned is just that persistence. And I know that some people are like, well, how do you get persistence? And it's sometimes it's just to me, it's step by step. It's just a step by step. Yes, I look long term and I look big picture, but to just do one thing towards my, you know, my music biz every single day. I mean, hopefully more than that, but even just one, if it moves you forward, that's part of what's going to be for the long haul. It, it is a marathon. It's not a sprint. I mean, when you're building a fan base and stuff, I know people get instant fans and stuff like through American Idol and um, The Voice and whatever, but, and even through TikTok here, sometimes yeah. people do, but, but to build that long-term, it's, it takes time. Cause like you guys, even, you know, on Katie's channel, you don't know me. So this is my, your, my first introduction and, and you learn to know Katie, you know, so it's it, yeah. it, just to know that it takes time. And it's okay. Yeah. Oh, that's so good too, especially that we're doing this on TikTok Live because I feel <laughs> like TikTok is such an instant gratification platform where everyone's trying to go viral. And yeah. I I definitely take the approach of like not worrying about going viral. I've gone viral a couple times and it's been fine. I mean, listen, I do like pat myself on the back that Charlie Puth commented <laughs> on TikTok of mine, but because <laughs> I think it's fun. <laughs> Uh, anyway, it's not about like viral hits and a lot of times, and this is where 
as an artist, it's a little different too, because I think you can actually have a broader fan base than like I do as a coach. Cause I'm serving a very specific niche, which is like indie artists. And there are a ton of indie artists out there, but it's not necessarily the case that there are so many that I'm going to be getting millions of views on every video. Like, you know what I mean? I, I know I'm not necessarily going to be that type of creator. Um, so I'm not, I'm not worried about it because what I'm more concerned about, and this is what I really feel artists should be concerned about as well is getting to the right people. Like as long as I'm getting in front of however many indie artists this video reaches or this live reaches and it's making an impact in their lives. Awesome. That's good for me. And I can't even tell you the amount of comments, new leads and new clients I have gotten, which by the way, means money. Like I've made money, <laughs> a lot of money from, um, and I'm not saying this to brag. I'm saying this to say that there's a lot of potential on here. I only have yes. 35, not even hundred followers. And I've made way more than that thousands of dollars like um from being able just from just providing value and just making sure that my content is for the right people and getting in front of the right people so as an artist it's the same thing you do not have to go viral you do just need to focus on providing value and being really clear about who your ideal audience is and playing the long sustainable gain game because it will grow. It'll grow and grow and grow and it'll build and build and build. Even if you never go viral, if you just have videos that get a little bit of traction and get in front of the right people, it will grow. Mm -hmm. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> and right that, that's my TED talk. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> All right. Well, I think this was amazing. Tara, thanks so much for joining me today oh, on live. Thank you. It was so, so good to be with you here. And I just think, I hope you guys continue to just follow and listen to Katie because it's, um, she has a lot of, like I said, you just have a lot of wisdom and, and I, I can say that being the older one. <laughs> <laughs> well, make sure that you go follow Tara now too, because thank she you. is also amazing and has a lot of wisdom and thank, thank you all for tuning in live. Yes. And if you're listening to this, when it airs on the podcast, thank you for tuning in there. Make sure you're following us both on TikTok. I'm Katie.Zaccardi and Tara, are you just Tara Bruski or I can't Tara Bruski music. Okay. Tara Bruski music. Yeah. Yep. So make sure you follow <laughs> both of us here and let us know if you have any questions following up this uh, live or if there's anything else you'd like us to see us talk about. And we can't wait to hear from you. Thank you all for joining us yes. and have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Bye, guys. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Out To Be podcast. If you like this episode, be sure to share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, rate and review it on Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. That really helps us spread the message and get this podcast out to even more women in music. For more information on coaching services, head to katiezacardi.com. See you next week.